Drunk Botany, Episode 8. Hoist a glass and prepare to enter a world of gardens, brews, botany, and booze. Here's your host, Bill Creation. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Drunk Botany. I'm your host, Phil Creation, and joining me today is Brian Hayosh. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, Brian? Tell everybody who you are, where you work, what your job is. Hi, uh, so I'm Brian. I am the bar manager at Kildare's in Scranton on Jefferson Avenue. Been doing the, the spirits and beers and wine world for a few years now, sort of my, my passion and my hobby. Um, and if I'm correct, I believe today we're discussing the Bloody Mary. Yes, I have heard somewhere that you have the best Bloody Mary in Scranton, and I figured I'd give you an opportunity to throw down. Yeah, so, you know, unless unless we got a real competition, there's no way to say whose is the best, but, you know, everyone makes things the, the way they like, and I'm, I'm a fan of the, the lightly spicy Bloody Mary, so. Well, I guess you could say that you're the best until you're not anymore, right? Exactly. Sounds good to me. Okay, so before we get started, I'm just going to make a couple of observations here about your uh, garnish choices. I like it that you went with a rim, and I also like it that you kept your garnishes relatively simple. Uh, celery stalk, queen olive, and a lime slice. But you went with wedges of lime instead of slices of lime, like half wheels, as people tend to make in most of the bars I've worked in. I've always preferred the wedge of lime because I find that it's easier to squeeze if you want to add that little extra bit of acid into your cocktail. So that being said, why don't you tell me what makes your Bloody Mary the best? Tell me what it is, why. And uh, for the sake of argument, I'm going to tell everybody that we are using Kettle One Vodka um, to make Bloody Marys today. Yeah. All right, so... um... In my opinion, the Bloody Mary is all about the mix. You can get a good idea of how many variations there are if you just go into the local grocery store and check on the, the their cocktail shelf in the juice aisle. I would say, on average, you find probably three, four different styles of Bloody Mary mix on the shelf at all times. Uh, Sriracha makes one. Uh, Mrs. T's Mrs. makes T's. one. I mean, there, and there's nothing wrong with them. It's just another one of those fun things where... Coming from a, a cook background, I just like to make things from scratch and sort of experiment with the flavor profiles. So do I. Do you have a favorite off the shelf uh, Bloody Mary mix? You know, I would probably go with Mrs. T's myself. Mrs. Um, T's is your just, thing. It's just an all-around great product, um, good flavor to it, and even when I use the Mrs. T's, though, I always find myself adding a little bit more Tabasco when I when I mix yeah, it. Yeah. Well, anytime you pull something off the shelf, chances are, you know, if you're guys like us, you're gonna tinker with it a little bit like I can never just let things be I do have a favorite um Bloody Mary mix that can be obtained off the shelf but I'm going to reserve comment on that for just now uh for reasons that will probably become clear in episodes yet to come so let's drink this Bloody Mary you want that vodka yeah alrighty so what we have is I'm doing a two to one mix of my homemade Bloody Mary mix to the Kettle One Vodka. So I'm mixing in a mason jar and using the, the measurements on the side. Oh, this is a dry shake. We talked about this in a previous episode. Yeah, so I'm doing a quick dry shake to incorporate the two ingredients together. 
I and also like that you chilled this pint glass. Yeah, I uh, you know the last last episode we did together on bitters was uh, it was fun, but I I learned a lot from you while doing the episode, and I kind of wanted to to bring my A game to this one since oh, I, I since I am that. sort of uh, bragging about my Bloody Mary mix. Um, so I've I've completed my my dry shake, and now I'm adding a little bit of ice to my concoction. And I'm going to chill the Bloody Mary before pouring it into my uh, my glassware. I like it that your ice cubes are actually cube-shaped, as opposed to just the kind of thing that comes out of your freezer or comes in the cheap ice cube tray. Would you use, like, a silicone tray for this? Yeah, yeah. I bought a, a three-piece silicone tray. Ice is, in my opinion, one of the most important parts of a good cocktail. You know, Hunter S. Thompson used to judge the civilization of a culture based on their ability to manufacture ice. <laughs> Never heard that about him. He's an interesting character. I love that, man. All right. So, pouring over ice right now, and you've already described my garnish choice. And I wanted to just take a quick second and talk about the rim I have on this glass here. Oh, yeah. Because I find that the rim often differentiates a, a Bloody Mary from its competitors. Yeah. Um, so my favorite rim for a Bloody Mary is equal parts, black pepper, kosher salt, and Old Bay seasoning. Um, I mix the three of those together and then, uh, like a classic rim, you just wipe the edge of your glass with a lime and dip into the dry ingredients and then it, it rests. So you are an Old Bay guy. I am an Old Bay guy. Um, there is none in my mix though. None in the mix. There is Old Bay on the rim. Yes. And that's just to kind of add that difference of flavor and, and it makes the rim make a pop yeah exactly it makes the rim a component of the cocktail unto itself um it's not like i'm i'm going overboard with a flavor because it's not in the mix itself so you kind of need the rim to be there in order to get that final nuance of flavor into the cocktail absolutely okay so should i just drink this as is or do you want me squeezing the lime in there Again, that's a personal preference. Um, there is already lemon juice in the mix. Um, so real quick, if you want to go over the, the mixture that I made, it's a uh, I, I go with the classic Campbell's tomato juice, the, the big can that you find in the store. Two to three tablespoons of Tabasco. I usually go a little heavier on my home version simply because I like it a little bit spicier. And then I add a heaping tablespoon of prepared horseradish, which you can buy in the store on the shelf. Um, and by prepared horseradish, it just means that it's mixed with the vinegar and everything. Yeah, it's pickled. Yeah, exactly. I was actually planning on putting together an episode on how to pickle your own horseradish. I have a horseradish plant that I've been growing for the past couple of years. Horseradish actually is a kind of plant that will grow out of control if you don't keep it contained. So I have it in a container, and it comes back every year with a vengeance. And I think this might be the year that I might try to harvest it and prepare it myself. I've been trying to figure out what the best options were, whether that should be home canned or not. If you guys listening at home have opinions on this, certainly shoot me an email. Uh, you can visit us at www.drunkbotany.com. Feel free to write comments, like and share us on Facebook, anything of that nature. But I do want to hear back from all of you on what I should be doing and what you'd like to be hearing about. Sorry to interrupt while I shamelessly plugged myself. No, quite all right. So yeah, after the, the horseradish, it, it's, um, in my opinion anyway, it's not a Bloody Mary mix unless there's Worcestershire mm. sauce in there. This is awesome. Yeah, it's got a nice heat to it. That tomato flavor really comes through. And then you get that uh, the richness from the, the Worcestershire sauce. 
Um, and then it's just the juice of one lemon, black pepper, celery salt, garlic powder, paprika, cayenne, and kosher salt. Paprika sneaks its way into everything, I find. Um, I'm going to squeeze the lime into that because I was like a, an extra pop of uh, oh, yeah. thing. And also, anytime I find like uh, a garnish on a drink, I always try to like incorporate it in there. I just feel like that's why people put it there. It's not just to like look pretty. Oh, I yeah. would otherwise just be garbage, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And a lot of people, um, you know, the argument is, is don't, put, don't put something floating in my drink if it's not supposed to be there. So, I tend to agree. Yeah, so... Um, I guess I'll start with a couple fun facts about the Bloody Mary. Yeah, um, talk to me, man. This is another drink that, you know, is a direct link to prohibition. If our ancestors didn't make the great mistake and ban alcohol, we, we might not have this cocktail as we have it today. So this cocktail can be traced to the, the very famous Harry's New York bar in Paris during the 1920s. Um, the bartender there got his hands on what was being called tomato juice cocktail made in America. Because alcohol was illegal, we started to see these juices and soft fountain soda, soda jerk companies. And yeah, stuff people like were that. producing mixes because you had vodka and stuff and all kinds of garbage liquors coming out of, you know, people's radiators and stuff like that uh, that was poison, but it also tasted like Awful. So oh, people yeah. would rubbing people alcohol. would be yeah people would be mixing. If you, you were you was rubbing alcohol, if you were lucky, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So in America, a lot of the companies to to make money during that time started manufacturing non-alcoholic mixers, and these invariably found themselves in the hands of home bartenders. These juices and cocktail ingredients ended up going into Europe as well, where they made their way into the hands of some very famous bartenders. One of which was the bartender of uh, Ernest Hemingway, um, who, believe it or not, his name pops up with quite a few classic cocktails from back in the day. Not to interrupt, but it's interesting you mentioned now Hemingway because we just did an episode fairly recently um, where we talked about Ernest Hemingway a lot. We did a Hemingway daiquiri. But I have a present for you. These are homemade Luxardo cherries in a heavy syrup that oh, we did. nice. Yeah, these are going to be great for whiskey cocktails in the future. That's my gift to you. Um, if you're interested in learning how to make them, there is an episode on that. You can certainly check out our show notes page to link back to that and find where I rewrote the recipe for it because there's a recipe that I was using and it was not as good as what I wanted to create, so I had to kind of rewrite it and redo it in a drunk botany style. But it will not be discussed on that actual episode. You can only find it in the show notes page. So this guy was the bartender to Ernest Hemingway. Yes. Um, he is accredited with a couple different cocktails from, from the Times, but the Bloody Mary became a, a focal point because, like you said earlier in the show already, it's that classic hair-of-the-dog cocktail. You know, you, you have that rough night where, you know, you're drinking Death in the Mornings and, and Hemingway daiquiris and all those great, fantastic old school cocktails. You're going to wake up. Oh, no, they've unloaded the back bar on me. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you wake up in the morning and, you know, you still got to try and fit back into society. And uh, what better way than that, that little bit of a uh, little bit of vodka, some tomato juice and some you know, fresh herbs and spices just to kind of kickstart your morning and drink breakfast in a liquid form. I would like to interject that I do not advocate drinking before work anybody, but those of you who have to quell the shakes have to quell the shakes. I get it. So yeah, um, back to the history of this drink. Another important thing 
I find when, when researching drinks is uh, you got to take into account world events going on. While we were in this grip of prohibition in America, Russia was in the process of undergoing its revolution itself, forcing many people to, to flee the country of Russia and go to other parts of Europe. Um, just like with other large migrations of, of people, they brought their native spirits with them. So this is how vodka began to begin uh, being more widely introduced to a larger drinking you, market. You're saying that as, you know, peoples left their homelands, they brought their liquor with them. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, just look around this area of Pennsylvania and think about how many home recipes for grandma's lemoncello you see. Um, and I mean, it even goes to such things as, you know, bringing tomato plants with you. Oh, actually, there's a huge, um, like as a, as a tomato grower myself, there is a huge influx of Russian tomatoes that are really um, that are really impacting the uh, the open pollinated varieties that people are stabilizing. Um, a lot of a lot of tomatoes that mature early but have darker skins come from Russian areas. So, like Paul some Ro of those fun purple tomatoes you see. Well, the blacks. Oh, okay. Uh, there's there's a there's a black tomato, Paul Robeson, that came out of uh, like one of those Russian controlled uh, Eastern communist block things. It was named actually for Paul Robeson, the actor, the singer, and the civil rights activist. Hmm. It's also supposed to be a great tomato to integrate into sauces. It's supposed to really make tomato sauces pop. In fact. I would like to see a Bloody Mary mix that stars the Paul Robeson tomato. I mean, there are a lot of other things that took that darker anthrocyanin skin tone that came from that. And uh, there are a lot, of, a lot of companies out there doing a lot of really great work with it. Uh, I may link to a few. I may just let that go until we get to talking about sourcing seeds in another episode. This is actually a really great Bloody Mary. Oh, I know. It's, it's, it's hard to not keep drinking it. It's, it's actually slowing down my ability to talk. And you are featuring this at Kildare's in Scranton. Yes. Um, we are trying to revamp our Sundays right now. Um, putting in new TVs, trying to get that football crowd going. And me, personally, I feel like one of my favorite things about Sunday morning is waking up, getting my Bloody Mary, knowing that wings are on the way soon, and... Uh, just sort of watching kickoffs, you know, it's it's that Sunday morning ritual for me, I would say. So yeah, we're we're currently uh, tinkering around. Uh, my my personal recipe was a little bit too spicy for the general public, so I kind of had to modify it a little bit to make it more approachable. But for those fans of the spicy Bloody Mary, don't you worry. can always kick it up a notch. Oh, my my bartenders will definitely have their their Tabasco bottles at the ready. Is this going to be? Featured on, like, do you have a featured cocktail list that this is on? Has it got promo pricing for football? Anything like that? No. So our current football promo is $3 Bud Light drafts, um, but we're doing the big 22 ounces. But uh, I was going to actually tie into this later in the show, but it's a nice segue now is, um, you know, Bloody Mary mix, not only for the Bloody Mary, it goes great in, a, in another mm. favorite drink. In a red eye? The red eye. I like the red eye. Um, you know, it's another great drink where you add that splash of the Bloody Mary mix to your beer. And, uh, and in Canada, it's called the Caesar. Um, and the Bloody Mary, instead of being made with tomato juice, is made with Clamato instead. So there's... Uh. So there's yeah, it's 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 a weird one, but you know those are Canadians. People like it, though. Yeah, people like it. 
Um, but in Canada, it's very traditional to, to serve your Caesar with a side of beer. So you would, it's, it's almost like you, you enjoy your Caesar cocktail and then chase it with the beer. Um, and then, you could sell me on that. Yeah. And then you get the, you know, the red eye is sort of that marriage in the middle of those, of those two concepts, right? Yeah. And I mean, like, even myself, that, that little bit of brininess that you get really makes that just that another evolution of the drink. Personally, if I'm going to be to- totally honest, I'm a bigger fan of the Bloody Maria myself over the Bloody Mary. What's in the Bloody Maria? Tequila? Tequila instead of vodka. That's what I thought. But that's just me, you know, and that's that's the fun thing about the cocktail world is, you know, for as many cocktails there are, there's just as many, many variations of them. Absolutely, absolutely. So can you tell me a little bit more about things that you're trying to do over at Kildare's and Scranton? Yeah, so what we're doing there is we're working on, you know, revamping our beer list as well as bringing in some new wines and stuff like that. Yeah, so the big thing with my beer list right now is I've got 25 beers on draft. Uh, I do have a couple of them that, you know, are your standby domestics that just the general drinking public likes, so I'm going to keep them on there. But I also have some room to play around with some fun new IPAs. Uh, Cigar City, Highlay, Founders All Day IPA. Also, currently doing a couple different pumpkin beers and stuff like that. I've got my Oktoberfest rocking, and uh, just keeping my draft list fresh, rotating. We do growlers of, of stuff to go, so you can take a half gallon of beer home with you. And then the other big thing I've been working on is my craft bottle list, and I'm, I'm up over a hundred different craft beer in bottle now. In bottles, I like a solid bottle list. Yeah, and you know it ranges all over the place. I've I've got my my local Pennsylvania beers. You know, Victory, Trogues, fun things like that. I've got Nimble Hill, which is a local guy right in uh, Tunkhannock. Their beer is uh, Cluster Fuggle. I got that in the bottle. I actually love the Nimble Hill beers. I'm a huge fan. I'd love to get in touch with those folks, in fact. Are you promoting anything else with your business? I just want to make sure that you get a chance to really, like, plug your business if you're going to be on my show. Yeah. Another fun thing we're doing is we're, we're trying to revamp our Sunday nights as well. A venue for that that I found is is the live music scene. There used to be some fun places around when I lived here 10 years ago before moving to Colorado and back. But since I moved back, there, there really isn't any place that I can go see live music. And I feel like the, the venue I have at Kildare's kind of offers myself up to, you know, bringing in some of the local, local musicians and stuff. Coming up on October 15th, I've got a local bluegrass band from the Bethlehem area called Serene Green playing a show. And a good friend of mine, Dave Brown, is going to be doing a solo acoustic set opening up for them. And then in November, we're going to have Dave Brown's band, the Dishonest Fiddlers, making an appearance at Kildare's as well. Do you happen to know if Serene Green and the Dishonest Fiddlers have web pages that I could link to on the show notes page? SereneGreen.com is the their website. As far as the Dishonest Fiddlers, I know they do have a Facebook page. I'm not okay. sure if there is a full-on website for them just yet. Um, but both are local acts. Uh, we just had another band play, the uh, Hydration Concept. Um, and that was our halfway to St. Patrick's Day party. And, you know, we're just trying to get the live music up and going and bringing a little bit of, of fun banjo, mandolin, live acoustic guitar back to South Scranton. Well, that's my thing. Uh, I actually have uh, kind of a folk type song for my intro. Uh, it's actually done by Apes of the State, which is also local to Pennsylvania. 
they're out of Lancaster. So uh, I actually have contact information I could probably get towards yeah, I'd to love you to for exchange, them. exchange that after the show. Uh, in, in case that was maybe like uh, something that you would be interested in for booking your group. Uh, but they are a solid outfit. They have a great album out. Um, which I will also link to on the show notes page. Uh, folks, uh, don't ever worry about having to write things down. I don't know if you're like lifting weights or jogging or driving in your car, but like, don't stop what you're doing to write things down. I'll write it down for you. I promise. If you are listening from the website, the show notes page is right there. And I know that if you're using podcast addict or something of that nature, the show notes page comes right up in the, in the descriptions that you get for subscribing to the podcast. Uh, does Kildare's in Scranton have a webpage? Yes, it's kildarespub.com. Uh, that has a link to all of our daily specials throughout the week. Um, food specials, bar specials. We do happy hour every day, Monday to Friday from 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock. $2 craft or $2 domestics and $3 craft beers. Sort of a great way to try out some fun beers. We do beer flights and stuff like that as well. I'm going to definitely join you on that. How much are you putting in these? What, like two ounces, four ounces? In so I'm doing... Both of us? Well, these are... I'm doing bigger batches of these right now. So I'm going with uh, one and a half cups of my Bloody Mary mix and a three-quarter cup of vodka. So that's about, about two and a half shots per. Okay, yeah. I might have shorted you there. Oh, we're all good. It's all right. I'll probably have to drive today. <laughs> I uh, actually do not advocate um, driving after drinking. Uh, I'm actually going to pause for a second for a note from one of my affiliates. Alcohol is a poison, and if you don't partake responsibly, it will kill you. If you've been picking your poison today, don't get behind the wheel. If you absolutely need to get somewhere, why not utilize the services of the Lyft app? If you're new to the program, have your first ride on me. Just use my referral code, DBOTANY, and arrive alive. Welcome back, Brian. We're going to have one last Bloody Mary before we go. Uh, did you have any other interesting lore that you wanted to share with us? Yeah, so originally the Bloody Mary, um, going back to the, the Harry's New York bar in Paris, was called the Red Snapper. Um, I'm glad we didn't keep that name. Yeah, so uh, the Red Snapper, and was also sometimes referred to as the Bloody, or the Bucket of Blood, based on the red color of the tomato juice. Fun fact again about Hemingway, one of the, the world's more famous drinkers, uh, he is adamant that he introduced the Bloody Mary to Hong Kong, and part of introducing that to Hong Kong helped overthrow the royals uh, and their hold on that country as well. So, if, Ernest Heming if I was Ernest Hemingway, I would tell people that story too. Yeah. I'm going to eat the olive. Oh, yeah. And that's the other thing I was going to touch on too, is um, you commented earlier on my, my simple garnish, and classically the, the celery stalk and the, and the lime wedge was the start of the garnish. Nowadays, we're looking at and we see a large amount of almost meals being skewered and set on the side of the glass. <laughs> you ever see that picture where it's like there's a pizza and a garlic knot hanging off of it? Yeah. <laughs> like, garnishing is getting out of control in this establishment. 
Yeah, no, and that's the thing is like, and that that harkens again to that that breakfast cocktail mentality. You know, you see sliders, pork belly on them sometimes. I actually love that trend though because I'm a, I'm I'm not a guy who really eats breakfast. I kind of skip it entirely and go straight to lunch. Yeah, uh, I will if I'm up really early. Sometimes I gotta go to, to a place and just have like I'm one of those steak for breakfast guys. Uh, or I can eat sausage and stuff. Yeah. But, like, if breakfast is pancakes or a bowl of cereal, I would just rather go without it entirely. Like, my father always used to judge me on it. He was one of those breakfast is the most important meals of the day kind of guys. And it just, it, I, I went I went years eating breakfast all the time. But, like, it would make me feel not good. And, I, you know, I can't eat a whole bagel. But if I eat sausage... I can finish a bagel. I don't know what it is. Something about like protein for breakfast I can handle. Yeah. So in, in in practice, I usually just wait till lunch and that starts my day. And then like I'm time shifted much later being in the restaurant industry than most people. Like I oh, get yeah. up and then it's like a couple hours till lunchtime. Whereas other people are up at like five o'clock in the morning. You know, some people are getting up when I go to bed. Oh yeah. Me, me too. Um, you know, we're open till two o'clock in the morning every day of the week. So for me, it's, you know, I, I see the sunrise quite often. And when I hear the birds chirping, that usually means it's time for bed. So the all bad. Um, I wanted to just mention the name since I have it in front of me. Ferdinand Pitois is the, the bartender from the New York bar in Paris that is... The inventor of the cocktail. Inventor of the Bloody Mary. Uh, he originally created it as the, the bucket of blood. Um, other bars sort of jumped on it. There's all these great stories about you know various famous comedians and actresses and stuff in America... Um, you got to remember that this is all going on during Prohibition. So when people wanted to drink, they had to do it out of state or illicitly. They, had, they had to trip. They had to travel, or they had to import cheap booze. And you know, back to the the making of non-alcoholic drinks, you start to see these terrible bathtub gins and things of that nature in America, <laughs> causing blindness. Exactly. So if you had the money, it was safer to travel. And this era of our country when alcohol was illegal here, you start to see a lot of the classic old school cocktails being invented. American bartenders traveling abroad. Simply, I feel like I heard that story somewhere. <laughs> simply because they just didn't, you know, imagine you or I as professional bartenders and tomorrow they say alcohol is illegal again. Um, this is our livelihood. I would more likely than not move somewhere where I can continue to do what I love using ingredients that I love. I'll be honest with you. I don't think that America could go through that kind of experiment again. I know that there are people out there who advocate for a neo-prohibition, but I really don't see it working today. Like, I talk to people on both sides of the political spectrum, and nobody can believe that people uh, haven't risen up and fought or argued or anything like that. Like, that there's not more resistance to things that happen politically every day but i think that that has to do that we're allowed i think that has to do with the fact that we're allowed to indulge our vices be it video games or we, the written word is more prolific now than it ever was in say the 1920s like we're not banning books like ulysses the way that we used to you could pretty much live the life that you want to live and be totally divorced from the world around you and it doesn't really matter you can totally escape life and I think that that's why people kind of 
don't care anymore. We've become a very apathetic culture. I think that that has to be, but I think that the second that you outlawed violent video games or took away people's booze or maybe made it illegal across the board to smoke tobacco or anything of that nature. If you started literally telling people who just want to do their own thing and not hurt anybody, no, you can't do that. I think that, I think that's when you see people sharpening their pitchforks. <laughs> well, exactly. And what that does is it also, you know, and this is the big part about repealing prohibition with the 21st Amendment was that by making alcohol illegal, you started to see the rise in violent gang activity. Guys like Al Capone smuggling in Templeton rye whiskey from Canada, things of that nature. And, you know, you could draw a lot of similarities to prohibition of that era to certain prohibitions that we have today. All things considered, though, I feel like we are beginning to see a renaissance in, in the bar culture in America. Oh, absolutely. As people start to retake some of the skills that our forefathers have had. You're seeing a lot of people applying for permits for distilleries. Uh, there's all kinds of startups for gins because they're quick, but there are a lot of... Moonshine, for instance, has just come into the whiskey culture on a legal session. You know, like it, it blows my mind how much there is. And then I meet people like you, you make your own bitters, you design your own Bloody Mary mixes. There's all kinds of experimentation that's going on and it's only going on because people are starting to gain access to technology that has always been there. Like people are starting to really experiment and it's starting to shake up traditional industries. We live in a really exciting time for cocktails in general. Yeah. And, you know, the internet is a, is a wonderful tool for people like you and I. Uh, whereas before you would have to hope that your local library had the book you wanted, or you'd have to go to a bookstore and, you know, upwards of $30, $40 for a, a paperback book. And now we're able to just go on wonderful sites like Serious Eats and Chowhound and Recipe.com and all these great information sources for us. And it just makes that information readily available. And blogs like yours and Drunk Botany is just a great way to get this information out to the general public. And the more people like you there are to help spread the information, the more people like me there will be that sort of take that information and just develop a passion for it. And we take that passion to a whole new level. And every day I try and make something that excites me. And I just hope that I find the the drinking public that enjoys it so I can continue to, to do what I love. Well, I think that it's important to be passionate about things and then you can focus on creating value for other people. Like as long as you are interested in trying to do the best job that you can do in advancing a specific thing or not, then you're going to inadvertently create value. You're going to know things other people don't know. You're going to put access to things that other people wouldn't have. And I think that that's a really important thing. I think we're kind of winding down on this show. And uh, I guess that's it. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Drunk Bot. Visit us at drunkbotany.com to subscribe to the show for free and we'll join you next week.